their people are going to need 5x the infrastructure to support the next wave of AI that comes. We're going to need skills for people that know how to do that kind of work. And interestingly, I think this is probably the first year where I'm not saying software development. There's been this talk about networking dying, but it's like you're saying the opposite to that. No, I've, who's saying networking's dying? And a lot of people say, okay, I haven't got all of those requirements. Yeah. Should I still apply? Yeah, I've been unqualified for every job I've ever had. Everyone, it's David Bommel coming to you from Cisco Live, back with a very special guest, Fletcher, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here, and I want to start with your story, because that's a cool story. Just for everyone watching, I'm trying to get some real-world stories, because you've got a very high position at the moment. You're CIO at Cisco, is that right? That's right, and I was CIO of IBM for four years before this. But that's not how it started. You started in entertainment or something, I believe. you got to tell us that story. Yeah, well, um, so entertainment is sort of more the family business. Yeah. My, um, my mother's an actress, um, and my father was a musician, a conductor, and a composer, and um, was conductor of the London Symphony Orchestra. And so I spent a lot of time growing up on, on movie sets and for a long time really thought that um, I would want to go into entertainment. And when I was in college, I worked as an intern at the David Letterman Show yep. and the Conan O'Brien Show. But at some point, I sort of realized there was also this parallel thread all the way along from getting our first Commodore 64 as a family computer, getting the first Mac 128 in 1984 when it came out. Now we shared it with me and all my brothers and sisters and there was a sign-up sheet and I had to get up at like 5.30 in the morning to book time on oh, it. It was like a mainframe. And, uh, but I was always really, um, you know, passionately interested in that as well. And I knew when I was on these movie sets, the part of it that was really interesting to me was not so much the storytelling as much as all of the technology and the equipment around. And when I was in college, I naturally gravitated towards hanging out at the help desk and being around people that were doing interesting things with computers. And back then, you know, you could do things without getting arrested and people were setting up snort in the dorm rooms and sniffing traffic and doing uh, BitTorrent and then news groups and all kinds of things. And it was just, at some point I, I came to terms with, I should stop fighting this. What I really want to do is work in tech and in particular, IT. I always knew interconnecting systems and networking was really interesting to me more so than software development. And so um, in, my, um, in my senior year during spring break, I went out to the Bay Area and uh, got the San Jose Mercury News and started applying to jobs and got a job lined up for uh, after I graduated. And then um, as soon as I graduated, I, I got in my car, started heading west, and I made it as far as Utah and they called and said, the dot-com bubble is bursting and we have to rescind the offer. Oh, wow. But believe us, it's better now than later. Wow. I said, that's easy for you to say. I'm in Utah with everything I own in my car. And, uh, but ended up just keeping on going and um, have been working in tech ever since. And, and um, I love it because I had a friend once tell me working in tech is like being a brain surgeon if they invented a new brain every 18 months. <laughs> You know, like you, you just can never know everything no. and it's always changing and it's always interesting. And if you're interested in it, you never have a boring day in your life. You were telling me offline or off camera that people mustn't get into tech, into tech if it's not their passion. This is a difficult yeah. job to do if you're not really interested in it. Yeah. And it's like anything else, you know, um, there's, there's, there's probably, you know, well, you get good at what you practice yeah. and um, you're going to find yourself naturally practicing the things that you're interested in. And so to, to be, um, to at least aspire to be great at this, 
I think if, if that's something you're doing out of obligation or duty, you know, you're just not going to have fun and you're naturally not going to be as great at it as if it's something that what you're doing in your spare time and in your hobbies looks a lot like what you're doing at work. You know, you're, you're going to enjoy it and you're going to get good at it. And do what you love. Do you what you love. You know, yeah, that was the, I, I wasn't saying it that way, but I think you, you got to be really into yeah. tech to, to do it. It's, it's a difficult job. It's always changing, but it's so rewarding, and it's it's a never-ending puzzle that you're trying to solve, and uh, um, and it has a lot of impact on people. There's not a lot of jobs in a company that you can have that impact everyone at the company and potentially millions and millions of people outside the company. And what we do in tech, um, I think, is very much shaping sort of the world that we're all going to live in. And I'd rather be in the driver's seat than the passenger seat. I mean, you you're, you're in that position at the moment. So just for people who are new to the industry. What, what does your job actually entail? Yeah, good question. So I'm responsible for the IT department at Cisco, which includes uh, all of the kind of infrastructure, network, core systems that run the company, the financial systems, the sales systems, the marketing systems, the ERP platform, the employee device provisioning, the intranet, you know, your laptop, your phone, the mobile applications, the custom applications that we have. There's about 4,000 applications at Cisco. There was about 10,000 at IBM. So all of the kind of innards that it takes to run an 80,000 person company. And then also a lot of the transformation that Cisco is trying to affect goes through the IT department in the form of custom app development. And if you think about, you know, Cisco is evolving from a company with a history of shipping a pallet of hardware to a telco company, to a company that wants to sell you in an outcome as a subscription. Well, the plumbing is very different to uh, goal and compensate sellers and partners differently, to sell you a subscription differently, to simplify the licensing model, and all of the systems that need to be sort of reinvented to do that uh, go through the IT department. And so we, we play a, a very important uh, role in, in the transformation of the company as well. So I mean, I'm not sure what you can and can't share, but perhaps you can share as much as possible. I want to look at this from, mm -hmm. if I'm a young person and I want to work for you, yeah. What do you look for in someone? And then we can talk about the infrastructure perhaps after that. Sure. And by the way, the IT department at Cisco is about 11,000 people. Wow. So what I look for in a person, you know, I will hire on attitude over experience any day of the week. What I'm ultimately looking for is people who are kind, passionate about their craft and believe in our purpose. If we surround ourselves with those kinds of teammates, we're going to be successful in whatever the problem of the day that we're trying to solve is. That problem set's always going to change. But surrounding yourself with good teammates is is not going to change. So so that's sort of you know generally uh, you you want to work with patriots, not mercenaries. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> and, I like that too. And um and and I've had really good luck being surrounded by excellent, great, talented people who have worked with me in multiple companies and have become friends. And when you have people that you can trust that you know are good at what they do, who are also friends then all of the kind of hierarchy goes away. We're just all here together to solve a problem and have fun along the way. I was talking to someone earlier and like, imposter syndrome is a big thing. A lot of people feel that they're not good enough to apply because they don't perhaps have the tech skills. Yeah. Is tech skills as important as like other skills, but it sounds like it's it's less down the, down the list. Yeah, I don't think so. As long as you're interested in it and have the capacity and the inclination to learn, yeah. that's a much easier problem to solve than, you know, a bad attitude. Yeah. I've, it, your attitude is the one thing in life you have complete control over, 
And no one has ever been able to explain to me what the benefit of having a bad attitude is. So, <laughs> exactly. you know, when I find a person that's got a good attitude and 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 wants to get good at something and, and is expressing a, a genuine interest and passion in something and seems to be a, a good person, uh, I'd rather hire that person. When I look at job um, requirements at Cisco, it's yep. like a long list and a lot of people say, okay, I haven't got all of those requirements. Yeah. Should I still apply? Yeah. I've been unqualified for every job I've ever had. I love that. You know, generally speaking, people don't say, you're already doing everything I need and I'm completely confident that you, you know, usually what happens is as you progress, there's a certain amount that's unknown that you've not done before. And it's a bit of a leap of faith. You're not sure you can do it. You have to convince other people you can do it. But if you're a hard worker and you have a good attitude, you can overcome those things. But if you're if you're moving forward in your career, you're always going to be taking on challenges that you've not done before and you're not really 100% sure that you can do it. So you got to convince yourself first and then convince other people that it's, it's going to work out, which is sort of the imposter syndrome thing you were talking about. And I think imposter syndrome is probably just a, another word for a person who's a decent human being. Who is walking around us that is completely confident in everything, you know, that there's something wrong with that person. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. If someone thinks they know everything, that's the worst type of person to work with. Yeah, you know, but like the, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yes, yeah, exactly. You know, so explain that for people who don't know. Well, this is probably not the politically right, correct way to... I don't care. But, say, what it, say, what you, say, say what you want. You know, uh, it's the people who are unqualified that really overestimate their abilities. Yeah. And then the people who are really qualified or even overqualified underestimate their abilities. So we end up being surrounded by people who are very confident, but actually don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. The curse of they just know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the dummies of the world are really confident in things, and it's the the sort of generally speaking, the smarter people that are not always totally sure that they're right. That the, there are smart people that have other opinions, and I need to be open to hearing that maybe I'm wrong. Did you move from a technical role up into management, or was were you? I did. I um. So the my first job out of college was uh, a help desk job. Then I took a job as a systems administrator at walmart.com. While I was there, I um, just self-studied and bought the Microsoft Press books to become MCSE certified. And then- NT4? No, it was Windows 2000. Oh, great. Yeah, and I got to, but I did get to do the exchange. I only say that because I was NT4, so I'm like, been doing this for a while. I mean, I, I used NT4, yeah. and then you know, the, it was during that time period that Windows 2000 came out, and and uh, and then I, you know, was Exchange Messaging certified and did the migration of Exchange 55 to Exchange 2000. Which Exchange 55 was kind of cool. It yeah, had a it separate was, yeah. directory, and yeah, it could yeah. do things with multiple people on one mailbox that yeah. was harder with uh, Active Directory. But um, in any case, and then I really started getting interested in networking as well and became a, um, a systems engineer and then an engineering manager. And I was really enjoying it at walmart.com. I was working with great people and we were doing fun projects and Walmart was in this hyper growth phase of the dot-com division. Uh, but my dad started getting sick and I was out in San Francisco and he was in New York and I really needed to move back to the East Coast. We thought maybe he had Parkinson's and I just needed to get closer. And this was before hybrid work was a thing. Wow. And yeah. so uh, that's what led me to IBM. And so um, I came into IBM as a site architect, no, sorry, a systems architect, but I was working on IBM.com. So I've sort of spent my whole career in IT. And when I started, I didn't know that there was a thing called a CIO, but I did always aspire to run the whole IT department. So how was the transition? Because a lot of people struggle, you know, going from technical to management, do you have to like make a decision, I'm going to be a techie, or do you like have to learn new skills? Well, I think the good thing is less and less do you actually have to make that binary decision. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I think that more and more 
there's an acceptance that to do this job well, you need experts leading experts. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have never gone anywhere and said to some, like, um, a big thing of mine is, you know, there's billions of people in the world. Somebody somewhere has figured out this problem. Let's go leave our ego at the door and go and listen and learn and see how they're doing it and see what we can bring back. And so when you want to learn something new, you go, well, who is the best in the world at this? And so maybe if I want to know about Agile, I go to ThoughtWorks or somewhere. I've never gone anywhere where someone is best in class at something and said, hey, what is your secret for being best in the world at this? I have them had the answer be, oh, you know what our secret is? We pay someone else to do it. You know, generally the answer is we're in the details and we know about this and we care about this and we're passionate about this. And, and um, I, I think kind of the days of the generalist just managing outsourced contracts is kind of like a 15-year-old view of IT and that more and more IT is really at the heart of transforming companies, defining what it's like to be part of a company and really core to actually being the designer of the future of work and the culture of an organization. Culture is a function of how work gets done, and IT is involved in that. There's a, I think this is an American saying where it's dogs, uh, eat your own dog food, is that right? Drink it's, your own champagne, maybe. Yep. Or eat your own dog food, yep. Yep, yep. <laughs> so you're doing that in Cisco. I do. So in broad strokes, mm -hmm. what do you see Cisco, or what do you use internally within Cisco? Well, we're obviously a big Cisco on Cisco shop, and uh, we're you know customer zero for a lot of the, the product teams as they're developing products, because if it will work for me, I look a lot like many of Cisco's customers. Yeah. And um, you know the kinds of problems that you have when you're a global company of 80,000 plus people are just different than when you're 30 people in one building. Yeah. And uh, that kind of size and scale and, and security and otherwise the, 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 um, the problem set and the landscape is, is complicated. So there's a, a set of things that we're always um, you know, focused on in terms of supporting a hybrid work environment for our employees. And uh, you know, directionally, we want to make the sensitive parts of Cisco's network smaller, not bigger. So ideally, I would like your average knowledge worker to really not need the VPN. To have the VPN really be limited to people that need special access to some data center or system. So that requires uh, split tunnel VPN, really getting after zero trust. Uh, and I don't just mean uh, identity and authentication and um, uh, password list, but really true sort of zero trust where there's uh, you know east-west traffic movement uh, mitigation in place. Doing DNS filtering has been an important part of our overall security strategy. Uh, That's Umbrella, right? We use Umbrella for that. Uh, having full stack observability where we can really connect the dots between the endpoints, the devices, the infrastructure, uh, the emails, you know, having those things not be siloed, but where we can say, this is where a threat is coming in. Here's how it's trying to get persistence. Here's how it's trying to move laterally. Here's what it's trying to do. Um, stitching that all together uh, is is a really important part of our overall cyber strategy. On the infrastructure side, you know we have a lot of on-prem data centers as well as a lot of uh, a lot of workloads running in in all of the clouds. It's interesting. You don't want to be sort of the the last CIO talking about the merits of on-premise. However, when you get above a certain size and scale, there can be benefit to actually running on-premise. You know, generally for us, we say like, if you have more than 20,000 virtual machines, actually you might be better off running some of that stuff yourself, especially if it's not taking advantage of, of the benefits of being in cloud, it's just running in a different data center. Um, and so, um, so, so we have a, a strategy for what we run on premise and a strategy for what we run in, in cloud. So between cyber, infrastructure, compute, 
we, we obviously run a lot of, uh, you know, Cisco UCS for compute without having to be a big rundown of products. But if you're familiar with the Cisco suite, you know, Thousand Eyes, Umbrella, Duo, Amp, uh, uh, AnyConnect, uh, and all of that stuff is sort of converging into Cisco Secure Endpoint and um, Security Cloud. A lot of the people watching are interested in cybersecurity, are interested in like yep. cyber stuff. And I mean, I must, uh, it's probably a lot of this confidential, but you, Cisco must be attacked all the time. Yeah, and, and um, you know, Cisco uh, attracts a lot of very sophisticated apex predator kind of activity where um, it, it's a challenge, I would say, as an industry statement, not a Cisco statement. Advantage continues to go to bad actors, not good actors, right? Yeah, it's a um, problem, yeah. We have to be right 100% of the time. They just have to get it right once. Yep. And so this really becomes an exercise in making sure that we understand our digital estate and the systems and the networks that underlie that estate better than the people who are trying to break into it. And there's a lot of tooling that helps with that. But, um, you know, the, the attack surface of our environment has changed dramatically with hybrid work. You know, we went from having 370 offices in 98 countries to having 85,000 branch offices. Yep. Every single employee's home is now a branch office. And what does it mean to us from a from a cyber perspective when in that branch office you might have um, an Xbox or a smart thermostat or kids using iPads and generally speaking, people's homes have pretty flat topology. Yep. So um, what are the things that we need to do from a cyber perspective to shore up the endpoints and the infrastructure to be able to support that is a um, is a full time concern for for me and lots of other people at Cisco. But you know you can imagine there's a a set of things that um, we take very seriously that um, we just have to protect. And so uh, identifying the things in our environment that really need kind of special trust boundaries and special protections, you can you can imagine. You know we're in the business of manufacturing. Uh, devices that are used in critical infrastructure yeah. all over the planet. I'm sure, I'm sure certain governments would love to get in there. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, it's lots and lots of activity in that space and um, it's a 24-hour job. A lot of people are interested in like where, where's the future, where, where are things going? Mm -hmm. Any advice about like upcoming trends, things that you see changing? Well, you know, it's always uh, a safe bet to develop security skills if you're interested in that yeah. as a field. I think uh, AI is clearly, and we've been saying AI and machine learning for a long time, yeah. and now sort of prompt engineering. And um, there's some really interesting stats coming out around AI actually that overlap with security. Because at some point, the only thing that will combat AI is more AI. And if you have some sort of cyber threat that can iterate a thousand times a millisecond, you know, AI sort of assisted cyber threats is, is going to be a real concern. But even separate from that, just general productivity, Microsoft has now come out and said 45% of the code being checked into GitHub is being uh, co-pilot assisted. Oh, wow. Which is really interesting because historically you've said you cannot compress software development time. There's no compression algorithm for that. That's just people's brains, yeah. which is why there's so much focus on CICD pipelines because that's stuff you can automate. But now you might actually be able to to accelerate a lot of software development. And I think that part of the reason adoption of AI has been kind of slow is it was really sort of curating these big data sets and then performing machine learning against it. And it was difficult. And the answer to a problem or a question that you had had to live somewhere in that data. But that's not the case if you can reason over that data. Then you can start to answer questions to which there was no previously known answer and approach human reading comprehension. 
Uh, and that's the sort of state of play right now. It's been six months since ChatGPT was announced and it continues to amaze and terrify. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it is going to have a significant impact. Mastery of, of language is kind of the next frontier of AI. And I think there will be, you know, we're already seeing that's like the number one skill that recruiters are looking for, uh, prompt engineer. Also, the beneficiaries of AI are going to be the infrastructure providers. AWS said in their earnings, report uh, a couple of weeks ago that AI workloads are going to go from 5% to 20% of AWS oh, wow. in the next uh, eight months. I, a high performance rack in one of my data centers is like at the high end, 40 kilowatts of power. A rack of GPUs for AI is 100 kilowatts. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, everybody's guiding their CapEx uh, estimates higher. People are going to be building infrastructure like when the cloud started to be a thing. So if you're interested in building infrastructure and you're into IT, I think it's going to be a whole nother renaissance of that, of, of your, their people are going to need 5X the infrastructure to support the next wave of AI that comes. So whether that's GCP, AWS, um, uh, Microsoft or otherwise, Cisco certainly feels like we, we have a lot of opportunity there with the uh, low latency, high performance networking that you need for these AI clusters. And people are going to start to build on-prem open source AI clusters. It won't just all be open AI. And, and we're going to need skills for people that know how to do that kind of work. So that's going to be security. That's going to be infrastructure. That's going to be networking. That's going to be AI. And interestingly, I think this is probably the first year where I'm not saying software development. Yeah, well that, that's a good one. Yeah. 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 And I could be wrong. I just think um, there's a fair amount of software development that actually, you know, AI will be able to handle quite a bit of that. That's very interesting. So, I mean, there's been this talk about networking dying, but it's like you're saying the opposite to that. No, I've, who's saying networking's dying? YouTube comments, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I guess it's a compliment that people take it for granted. Yes. Because, you know, people have the luxury of having no knowledge of how their phone is working or how all of the applications they're using on their on their computer are working or all of the infrastructure that the global economy needs to run. But that's one of the upsides of the pandemic is I think that um, the technology has worked and people have a lot of faith that if we say something is going to function a certain way, that it actually will function that way. And um, that stuff just doesn't just happen by magic. It's a lot of people working really hard 24 hours a day and... Um, that's what makes the job so cool. I always like to ask this question, yep. and you've kind of answered a little bit, but if you were talking to your younger self, what would you advise? My advice would be to stop eating after 10 p.m. Stop doing what after 10 p.m.? Stop eating food after 10 p.m. <laughs> I like that, Jay. Get more exercise. <laughs> and um, no, in all seriousness, I think my advice would be, my advice would be to not worry about uh, salary or even necessarily the company, but to chase the work that you really find interesting. And if you're passionate about something, you will get great at it. And when you're great at something, success and monetary rewards will follow. But if you chase it the other way around, you know, you can end up just kind of chasing the wrong things and running in circles. And so I eventually got to that place. But I think if I could go back in time and just say, hey, you know, what you really should focus on is what you feel fulfilled doing and everything else will sort of fall into place. Fletcher, thanks so much for the advice. Thank I really you. really appreciate it. Thank you.